The idea of making a siyam on Mishnah Bura really raises a halakhic question. We know normally a siyam is made on the Sech of Gemara or a Seyed of Mishnayis as a special hadron which was instituted to say on such occasions and there's halakhic significance to such a siyam as well. For example, during the nine days, a siyam is enough of an occasion to allow the people participating to eat meat and drink wine. And if that's the case, a siyam of a masechta, or a of mishnayis, is something which is considered worthy of eating meat or drinking wine in the nine days. And the question is asked, what about completing a different Torah sefer? Or in the case of the Mishnah, a set of svarim. Does that also warrant a siyam? Does that also have the halachic significance of a siyam? So the Tshuva in the Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein addresses this. And Rav Moshe Feinstein ruled about a group of people who had learnt a sefer of the Novi, and learnt it well, and they had finished, and they wanted to know if it had the din of a siyam. And Rav Moshe Paskins that it does, and he brings an interesting raya to prove that. The raya he brings is from the Gemara in Tainish, which talks about why the 15th of Av was celebrated as somewhat of a Yom Tif. And one of the opinions in the Gemara is, it was called Yom Tavar Magal, the day that they broke the saw. Because the Gemara explains that one of the mitzvahs that the Kohenim had was to chop wood to use to burn in the Mizbech. And they would only do this mitzvah of chopping the wood from Rishchodesh Nisan until Tuba'ad. Because the wood has to be sufficiently dry that it's not going to get wet and then become wormy. And therefore they would chop wood only in the summer months. And when Tuba'ad passes and the peak of the summer is over, so they used to stop chopping the wood until the following year. And therefore this was the day that they celebrated. One of the reasons for the celebration of Tuba'ad is it's the Yom Tavar Magal, the day that they ended chopping the wood. And on this, the Moshe says, you see, that one can make a simcha, you can make a suda, the Gomer Shel Mitzvah, when completing a mitzvah activity. And here when they completed the mitzvah activity of chopping wood for the Mizbeach, that was sufficient grounds to make a simcha. And therefore, similarly, when finishing a sefer, of the Torah, one can also make a Surah's Mitzvah. This is Ramosha Feinstein's Psak. We could ask two questions on this Psak. Firstly, one understands in the context of the chopping of the wood, so when they ended this year's quota of wood on Tuba'av, one can, can call that, one can call that Gomra Shel Mitzvah. That he's finished fulfilling the mitzvah and it won't be practical again until next year. And therefore, if one celebrates completing a mitzvah, the mitzvah is being completed. But if one's talking about the mitzvah of learning Torah, the fact that one's finished a certain sefer, a certain part of Torah, isn't a completion of the mitzvah of learning Torah. The mitzvah of learning Torah applies just the same the following day. And if that's the case, the siyam is on the content one learns, but not necessarily on, f- f- on completing the fulfillment of a mitzvah.
So why then would that be comparable to our case if one's where the question is, is one allowed to make a siyam on finishing a certain Torah Sefer? And the second question I want to ask is if we would look inside the Gemara, the Gemara doesn't end there. The Gemara doesn't say that they celebrate it because they finished chopping the wood. The Gemara adds a second point to the explanation. And the Gemara says that now that they were no longer busy spending the time it took to chop the wood, they now had more opportunity to learn Torah. And therefore, part of the celebration of Tubav isn't just the Gomer Shal Mitzvah. It's the ability that provides, or the extra time, which it enables people to use in learning Torah. And once again, why would that be comparable to finishing a certain safer of learning Torah, of Torah learning? However, we're talking about the Mishnah So, I want to say over something I heard from Yitzhak Sarotskin. And then he said, I think he heard it from the Chofetz Chaim's grandchildren, that when the Chofetz Chaim completed writing the Mishnah it was an endeavor which took him 30 years to write the Mishnah so the Chofetz Chaim made a siyam for the people of Radin, a siyam which would put tonight's event to shame. It's told that on the Motzei Shabbos, he made a siyam on the first chalik of Mishnah And then the following night on Sunday night, he made a siyam on the chalik base of Mishnah And for an, an entire week, the people of Radin wore their Shabbos clothes because every day, six days in a row, the Chofetz Chaim made a siyam on another one of the Chalakim of Mishnah So we see that the Chofetz Chaim also held that completing a certain Chalik of Torah is also worthy of making a sin. It's told that at the Siyam, when the Chofetz Chaim celebrated completing writing the Mishnah and undertaking it, as I said, which took 30 years, so he was asked if he's now going to work on Yerid Day next. The second chalik of Shulchan Aruch. And the Chafetz Chaim said, he was already an older man at the time, he said, if Hashem would give me 30 more years, I would be able to write the Mishnah Brewer on Yeridaya as well. And they asked him, and then Khashen Mishpat also, if, he, if Hashem would give you 30 years after that, would you also write on Khashen Mishpat? And the Chafetz Chaim said, no, he had no plans to write on Khashen Mishpat. Why not? So he explains echoing something which uh, Urim Atumim actually wrote about 300 years before that. And that is, he said, when it comes to Choshen Mishpat, and it's a question of taking money away from one party and giving it to the other, so as long as there's an opinion that differs and would hold that the person who's holding the money can continue to hold on to it, then you can't rule against him. Because he can say, I hold up the other opinion. If it's a machlaikas between the Sma and the Shach, or between the Ktaisan and the Nasevus, so how is one going to offer a definitive ruling? If, if the defendant will claim, well, you might pass on that success, but I hold up the Nasevus. And if that's the case, you can't force me, so to speak, to pay when there's an opinion which backs up my position. And therefore, the Prophet Chaim held there was no point trying to write a definitive psak on Chosh and Meshpat, because as long as the other party has an opinion on whom to rely, he's allowed to hold that opinion. Which brings us to an interesting conclusion. 
And that is, therefore, that's the reason the Chofetz Chaim didn't want to write in Choshen Mishpat. It means what the Chofetz Chaim did write on Arachaim. He held that this was a definitive sack. Even if there had been a case where there would be a Mechlaikist, be it the Shtaz and the Mogan of Ram, or the Primo Gadim and Rebbe Kivego, whoever else is going to be, the Chofetz Chaim held that there was a place for him to give a definitive psak, and that would be halacha. And the question is, how is one able to do that? In a case where there are different opinions, and not just opinions of small people, on the contrary, opinions of the Gdali Apoiskim of a previous generation, so where is there a makam, or how is it possible, let's say, for someone else to come and offer a ruling deciding who we do Paschalnak and who we don't? I heard from Rav David, Mishnah Mishnah Mazam Arbach, that that was the point of the Mishnah Burr. The idea was to offer a definitive sack. And therefore, the Mishnah Burr on the one side has the second, so to speak, Chalik of the Chavetz Chaim wrote the Bira Lacha. And Rav David said that the difference between the points which are put in Mishnah Burr as opposed to the points which the Chavetz Chaim puts in the Bira Lacha is what he brought in the Mishnah Burr is how he holds Halacha Lemaisa. That was a definitive sack. Whereas what he brought in Bira Lacha, he wasn't convinced, he brought another opinion. Or he brought something, a question which he raised, and was we wanted to, like to consider without deciding that that's absolutely the halacha. So therefore, he didn't bring it in the mishnah He brought it, so to speak, and it's as a sideline in the biralacha. And therefore, what he did write in mishnah bura, he held that this was his being machria. He's making a decision and uh, offering a halacha lemaisa. Or even in cases where there had been a machlekes. One could say more than that. One can say that this is the very reason why he chose the name Mishnah Bura. Because the name Mishnah Bura really comes from a Gemara. And the Gemara says, on, on the price of Rabbi Shem Yochai, that Asidah Torah Nishlachich Bi Yisrael. There will be a situation where the Jewish people will forget the Torah. At some stage in the future. And at the Gemara account, it's Chas Shalom. How can it be Christ will forget the Torah? We've been promised we won't forget the Torah. And what the Gemara goes on to explain is it's not that we'll forget the Torah that we won't know there's a Torah. But, there won't be a clear psak in the Torah. So yes, we'll know the Torah. We'll know the Halacha. We'll know that there are very many opinions of how one's going to keep the Salacha. The different shittas about what the halacha is. And there won't be a Mishnah Bura, a clear psak, which someone can follow. The Gemara gives an example of a lady who has a question regarding challah, regarding trumas, and she will go with her loaf of bread from basin to basin, from place to place, asking if anyone has a clear halacha to tell her what to do. And therefore, the idea of a Mishnah Bura is not just knowing that there's a halachic issue. All that they're different opinions, but rather being able to render a halacha brura, a clear halachic approach. And therefore, if the Mishnah was written in order to do that, so yes, the Chavetz Chaim would confront the Machlokes in whatever they were, and come with that, come out with a hachra, with a decision. 
as we said before, that's why he felt in Chosh and Mishpat that wasn't necessary. But in Yisav Hatzah, in Arachayim, there was a place for that. Chavetz Chaim had the strength in order to be able to render such a psak. And we see a certain Siyasa Dishmaya. That even though the Chavetz Chaim wasn't the only one, even in that door, even in that generation, to try and, so to speak, offer a uniform approach to Halacha, there are many others such as Arach HaShulchan, Ketushulchan Arach, but the Chavetz Chaim's Mishnah became accepted as the basic Sefer Halacha textbook, let's say in Arachaim, which Klai Yisrael have, have learned and continue to learn. That's also an interesting thing, which means the Chavetz Chaim isn't just a Hachra, a decider in Halacha for the generation, or the generations, I should say, which preceded him. But, I'll tell you a story which shows that that, that strength of Psak, that stature that the Chofetz Chaim has, remains until today. Years and years ago, when I was a Bacha, I wanted the opportunity to talk to Rebchaim Kanievsky on exactly this topic. And then, when is the Machlokas between the Poskim following the Mishnah Bura, such as there's the Chaznisha argues with the Mishnah Bura, or let's say the Moshe Feinstein argues with the Mishnah Bura, or other Poskim. Is there a clear Mahalach in Psak of who we should follow? In other words, until the time of the Mishnah Bura, we can pass from like the Mishnah Bura against the opinions you came before, be it the Shulchan Aracharav or the Chayyadam, whoever it may be. But what about when we have other opinions subsequent, following the Mishnah Bura? And Rechaim Kanievsky told me, he said, if you have a certain Rav, that he's your Rav, and he decides all your questions, you can ask him. You happen to be Talmud of the Chaznish, or Talmud of Yashiv, whatever it would be, and you ask him all your questions, you can go with that. But in the case where a person doesn't have a specific Rav, the last Rav of was, then the Chafetz Chaim can be your Rav. You can pass on like Mishnah Bura Bechol Makam. So, we see that that Seat Dishmaya, that the Chafetz Chaim became the Poizuk of Klai Yisrael, still remains true. And let's ask the question again. What schus did the Chafetz Chaim have that his work was accepted by Klai Yisrael? It's a unique Seat Dishmaya. What Kayach did the Chafetz Chaim have that he was able to pass definitively in cases where there had been a Machlokas between the greatest of the Achronim before him? So I'd like to suggest an approach as follows. We know the Chafetz Chaim was a Kayin. He was called the Kayin Agadol. And his dad, he was the greatest Kayin. When we spoke about the Kayin Agadol, and Shabbos, we mentioned the special God in the Kohen Gadol wore. One of them, the Choshen, which he wore in his heart. And the idea of the Choshen was we saw that the names of the tribes of Kai Yisrael were inscribed on the 12 stones which made up the Choshen. And therefore, by carrying the Choshen on his heart, Aaron is carrying the names of Kai Yisrael Alibur. He has Kai Yisrael in his heart, and that's represented by the stones of the Choshen which are worn over his heart. That's true. 
But there's a second aspect to the Choshen as well. So Hashem tells Moshe that inside the fold of the Choshen, he has to put the Urim Vatamim. The Urim Vatamim, these names of Shemus Hashem, and that's going to light up in matters of judgments. That's what's called the Choshen HaMishpat. The Choshen of judgments. Because the Urim Vatamim would direct the Kohen of the, what the judgments meant to be. And this idea requires explanation. Because we don't think of Mishpat, we don't think of Halacha as something which applies to someone's heart. The halls of justice are the, is the chamber of the Sanhedrin, where you had the greatest minds of Ka Yisrael, who would analyze and debate and discuss and argue and explore every Halacha, and then render an opinion which was binding for the whole of the Jewish people. That's the framework in which Mishpat happens. Within the Sanhedrin God, through the minds of the Tamilich HaChomim, the Dayanim and the Poiskim of the Do. And therefore, what's the idea that Mishpat was connected to the heart of the Kohen God? Why is, the, why is that a way, so to speak, to come to a clarity in rendering a halakhic decision? And if we think about it, we'll see that there's another connection also between the Mishpat of the Kohen Gadol, the Khoshan in his heart, and the Sanhedrin Gadol. Where did the Sanhedrin used to sit? A special chamber was made for them, the Lishka Sagazis. Now, to make the Lishka Sagazis wasn't so simple. Because, on the one hand, we want the Sanhedrin to be connected to the Azara, to be in the base of Mikdash. But on the other hand, there's a din that it's forbidden to sit in the Azara. And Dayanim need to sit when rendering a Psaktin. And therefore the Lishkas Goddess was built in such a way that half the room was within the area of the Azara and half the room was outside the perimeter, the perimeter of the Azara. And therefore the Dayanim could sit outside the Azara but the chamber they were in was really also inside the Azara. And this was an integral part of rendering a psaktin in cases which needed a Sanhedrin. The Gemara says that any basin of 23, what they call a Sanhedrin cotton, any basin of 23 was able to rule on the Nenefashis, in capital cases, but only if there was a Sanhedrin who was sitting in the Dishkosagazis. And therefore, the Gemara says in Saita, 40 years before the Purban, when the Sanhedrin had to leave the Lishka Sargazis, from that stage it was now forbidden for any Sanhedrin anywhere to rule on capital cases. So we see that the, even though the Dayanim were the same Dayanim, their proficiency in Torah and their clarity in understanding the Sugyas would have doesn't change based on their location. But nevertheless, there's a connection between the Beis Amikdash to the Sanhedrin. And when there isn't the Beis Amikdash, or when there isn't the Sanhedrin who's sitting in the Beis Amikdash, 
So then we don't have the ability to come to a clear maskana, a halacha brura on cases of nefashas. And therefore, the entire body of the judiciary of Ta Yisrael are unable to rule on cases like that when there's nothing hidden in the Mishmas Agathas. What's the connection? What's the connection? If Mishpat is the legal system, the ability to render judgment is just based on Torah knowledge or the opinions of the scholars of the Torah. Why does it make a difference to have a base Amikdash? To have the Khoshim in the heart of the Kohen God. And we see another point as well. We see there's a Gemara in Makkah that the Gemara says that if somebody killed inadvertently, the penalty is he has to go to Goddess. He's exiled to one of the cities of the Levim. For how long? Until the Kohen Gadol dies. And the Gemara wants to know why is the Kohen Gadol, so to speak, being held responsible for this person who murdered by mistake? that the amount of time that he is going to be sentenced to Godus is until the Kohen Gadol dies. And the, the Gemara says that the Kohen Gadol is somewhat to blame. If it's during his tenure in office that a murder could happen, so then there's something missing in the spiritual level of Kaisra. And if that's the case, he's somewhat to blame for the fact that such a terrible tragedy could happen. And therefore, the duration of the time that the murderer has to be exiled is for the le- length of the lifetime of the Kohen God. There's what to say about this, but we can understand it. But now let's look at the more surprising halacha. The Gemara asks the question in Makkah, what would be the halacha in a case where the Kohen God, who was in office, when the tragedy happened, when the person who got killed has already died, and now that the murderer Bashagig is being brought to trial, and you, Kohen Gadol, is now, so to speak, taking has taken up the position. If that's the case, how long will this person have to go to Gadol's for? Because if you're going to look and find fault in some way with the Kohen Gadol during whose term the murder happened, he's already died. And the Gemara says that this murderer has to remain in Godless until the death of the present Kohen Gadol. And the question is, what did he do wrong? The case happened before he took office. And the verdict was a verdict of the Sanhedrin. And yet we see here as well that the Gemara understood that the verdict of Sanhedrin reaches is somehow connected to the Kohen Gadol. And therefore, if he was the Kohen Gadol, when the basin decided that this person needs to go to Goddess, then in some way he's responsible for that. This needs a pshat. Let's suggest perhaps a certain mahalach. 
Let's first look at a very interesting Gemara in Ksuvus, Lafkuftes. And the Gemara says the following. The Gemara says that Rabbi Lazar, the Amira, was Dairish Apostle. We know that Tanoim Lamaraim had the tools, had the right to be Dairish the Psukim and to come out with Halacha from how they understood the ways to infer Halachas from the Psukim of the Torah. So Rabbi Lazar was Dairish Halacha. He was Dairish Apostle. And he came out with the Maskana, Ameya Oretz Einam Chaim. Somebody who's not involved in Torah learning, the Gemara calls Nama Aretz, doesn't deserve to be resuscitated. He won't get Tchiyas HaMesim. And he learned it from a Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Kital Oretz Telechok, that the Jew of resuscitation comes from the Or, which is the Or of Torah. And therefore the Gemara learns that only a person who is connected to the Or Torah, to the light of Torah, deserves to be resuscitated by the Or of Torah. And Rabbi Laza tells the Strasha to his t- mentor, to his teacher, Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan's response wasn't to argue with him, or to disagree with the halacha he came to. Rabbi Yochanan told him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't like when you say that. And Rabbi Lazar's response, Mikrani Doresh. I didn't make it up. I learned it from the Pasuk. And Rabbi Yochanan didn't argue with his learning from the Pasuk. He didn't say you learned it wrong or you, your duke wasn't a good duke. He seems to agree with it. And if that's the case, if that's the case, then it needs an explanation. What was the wrong, so to speak, with Rabbi Loza's drasha that Rabbi Yechon found objectionable. What happens? Rabbi Loza learned Sugimo until he returned to Rabbi Yechonon and he told them Motsasa and Takayim in the I found a solution for them from the Pasuk. A different Pasuk. Not that he changed what he had said previously, Tchiyosamesim needs a connection to Torah. But it's possible to be connected to Torah even in the context of somebody who's enabling the Talmud Chacham to learn Torah. Somebody who's supporting the Talmud Chacham is learning Torah. Okay, so what does this principle mean? So here we see a Yisait. And that is, it's possible to analyze halacha from the standpoint of the logic, of the, the spara, of the the discussion of how to dis, disagree about the sugya or come to a certain conclusion, maskana. But there's a second aspect to halacha also. And that is what the Yechelen mentions here. If it's nichele marayu, if that's what Hashem would want the maskana to be. And therefore, coming out with the maskana, which is something which would, so to speak, sentence a large percentage of Kha Yisrael not to have Ayla Maba, not to get Khir Samaisim, is something a Kaddish Baruch doesn't want. It doesn't mean the Drush is wrong. 
the drasha could be right. And I'll feel the principles of how to learn the drasha could be right. But if a person comes to the sense of, is this what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants? So to speak. Then, no, it's not what Hashem wants. And Rabbi Yochan told Rabbi you must learn the sugi again. Because of a chile, a factor, in deciding how to be Darish, is the, fa- the feeling of, is this what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the Pesach to be? Now, obviously, not everybody is in a position to decide what they think HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the Pesach to be. But, there is such a factor in Pesach as well. The Mishnah Bura, besides for his Sifra Halacha, we find was a prolific writer. And many of his others for him all revolve around a central consideration. And that central consideration is Klai Yisrael. Klai Yisrael. How to give to Klai Yisrael. How to help Klai Yisrael do mitzvahs. How to defend Klai Yisrael. How to be made it stay in Klai Yisrael. This was a second major focus in the Chofetz Chaim's writings. A second major chalik in his life. This is the second point of Psach Aloch. Something which, so to speak, is Matsasilem Takonam in Finds a Mahalach which justifies Klai Yisrael. That's Nikhil Amaraya. That's what Akkadish Baruch wants. These two ideas together make up the synthesis of the Khoshin Mishpat of the Kohen, on the Kohen Gadol's heart. On the one hand, there's the concept of the Mishpat. This, the, this is the center, so to speak, of the Psach Halacha. But it's combined with the names of Klai Yisrael. It's combined with the names of the Jewish people that the Kohen Gadol carries on his heart. The Psak has to be a, comp- a combination of two separate factors. The one, this is the halakha. We don't change halakha if it's inconvenient for people. And the second, that if there's different perspectives of halakha, so then if we can justify Klal Yisrael, then that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want. This then would explain why, in order to render a ruling, the Sanhedrin Agadol needs it to be a Kohen Gadol. They need to be connected to the Beis Hamikdash, because in giving a psak, especially a battle in a fascist, there has to be the factor also of is this what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wants, and that's the Urim Betumim. The Urim Betumim shows the perspective of halacha and what Hashem would want the halacha to be. If that was the achievement, and that was the godless, and that was the focus of the Chafetz Chaim, then we can understand why the halachas he gives us are a Mishnah Bura. It's halachas which is Nikhil Amarayim. It's halachas which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants that to be the halacha. It defends Klai Yisrael. And if that's the case, we see that, like we said before, the special siyat that there was, that the Mishnah Bura was accepted as a defense of Sakhalach. We see also that this is the backdrop against which the Kohen Gadol can fulfill the by what the Mishpat is meant to be.
Yes, he's learned the sugya. Yes, he's understood both arguments and he can bring proofs for and against each side. But the deciding factor is going to be the Nikhil Amaraya. And it could also be, I'm just suggesting this, that that's why this isn't a factor by Khosh Mishpat. Because in Khosh Mishpat, it's one Jew against the other. So what's the Nikhil Amaraya? Hashem doesn't take sides. But when it comes to Isavahat, something which justifies Ka Yisrael has this advantage. Obviously, once again, has to emphasize, it doesn't mean that that changes the halacha. We don't look to justify or render halachic rulings to justify what people are doing which aren't based on the halacha. It rather refers to a certain underlying, so to speak, perspective in the halacha. Which again, means a Kohen Gadol perhaps. Or a Chafetz Chaim to be able to synthesize with the Psaq. And this brings us so the first thing we asked, why is there a makam to make a siyam on other Sifra Kodesh? Besides for the Shas, the Masechtas, and one could ask the question even more. If one looks at Shulchan Aruch as one Sefer, so then Arachayim is just one quarter of it. If one looks at even Arachayim, as one Sefer, then the six volumes of the Mishnah Burra are just parts, sixes of the entire Arachai. Why was there an Indian, so to speak, to celebrate completing a certain Sefer, a certain Chelek of the Torah? So we ask the question, that one isn't, it's not Gomorrah Shal Mitzvah. The person hasn't finished doing the Mitzvah because the Mitzvah of Talmud Torah always applies. And will continue to apply even after he's finished this individual Sefer that he's learning. But there's another aspect to what's being completed. And that is, let's start with the fascinating Chazal. Chazal say that just like Klal Yisrael went into Goddess, the Torah also went into Goddess. Klai Yisrael's goddess is that we were dispersed among the nations. What was the goddess of the Torah? And Chazal said the goddess of the Torah was that one doesn't find an entire body of Torah in one place. You can be learning Hilchas Shabbos and you'll find Hilchas Tumavitara. You can be learning Hilchas and you'll find Hilchas of Shabbos. You can be learning Hilchas of Nezikim and you'll find Hilchas of Zerayim. The different parts of the Torah are all intertwined. And instead of each chalik of Torah being in one specific orderly location, the Torah got scattered. The Torah went to Goddess. And therefore the Gemara tells us the famous land, the Divrei Torah, Anirim b'makam echad, Vashim b'makam echad. In one place, the Divrei Torah are lacking. We don't have all the information. It takes somewhere else to find the missing, so to speak, pieces to put them together. And therefore, when it comes to the Shas, we have to divide it into Masechtas. Because as a topic, really, there isn't a certain place where one topic is covered exhaustively. Hilchah Shabbos aren't just in Masechah Shabbos. 
Same thing in the other area of halach. And if that's the case, it's a chiddush that each individual individual mesechta is a siyam in its own right. But there's also a siyam of gomra shel Torah, that a person's completed a certain chilek of Torah. Not his chiyuf to learn, but the topic of the Torah that he's learning. And that provides the shlemus. And that's something which is part of the being a Mishnah Bura, an organized halacha, something which is the Shulchan Aruch, which, so to speak, brings all the halachas together in a certain place. And therefore, this is the full in range of discussions on this topic. All halachas brachas are collected in, in one place in Arachai. All halachas somewhere else. And completing that is a certain gomra, it's a certain completion of the Chalik of Torah. Doesn't mean the Torah is not in Golis. There's still the kindness where we can learn Sfaras and Hilchas Shabbos from Sfaras and Hilchas Sharamot. And we can learn applications of Shabbos from somewhere else. Or applications of Brachos from Adinim Sachim, whatever it's going to be. But in as much as it's possible, it's connected to the Torah. And therefore, there's a certain Gemara, there's a certain completion of Torah. That's something we can celebrate. And the second point as well. Even though the Gemara says that part of finishing chopping wood for the Mizbeach was that it enables us to learn more, having seen the entire subject matter of a certain Chalik of Torah enables us to learn more. We've now at least seen, so to speak, the various points, the various pieces in the puzzle which make up a specific halacha. And now we having all the pieces in hand, we can go back and learn it better. And therefore, yes, the seam is a completion, but it's a hadrun Now that all the pieces are in place, we can go back and learn it more fully. It should be more clear. It should be more of a Mishnah Bura. And therefore, as we finish tonight, so I'm inviting everybody here in, to join the base Medrash, learning halacha every night after Mariv. A share with the position the practical applications of each halacha. No and for those people who aren't available in person, so then they'll do the share and also be uploaded on Kaladashan, Bezer Hashem. Everyone can follow on a nightly basis wherever they happen to be. And just as we stand here, such here tonight at the seal of the Mishabura, of this cycle, Bezer Hashem, I look forward to all of you around the table here, and maybe many more people also, that will make a seal biyachat. Rabbim together for you to complete the next cycle of Mr. as well.